Hello and welcome to Now Here's a Thing, the latest laid-back podcast crafted by me, Tracy Jones, and me, Heather Noble. Now, Tracy, here's the thing. A few weeks ago, I was up in Yorkshire for work on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And when it was time for me to leave... You couldn't, and you were a prisoner. I was a pri- Well, it was have been a beautiful place to be a prisoner, to be fair. It was very, very scenic. But there was a road closure. So, I'm thinking, right, okay. I think I vaguely need to head in this direction. But I'm not entirely sure. So, I took a different turning whilst desperately trying to set my sat-nav to... To bring me home. And then I realised, I was driving through this beautiful scene, it was lovely, Friday afternoon, hardly any traffic because I'm up in the hills. And then I suddenly thought, what did he do before I had a sat nap? Because <laughs> <laughs> I had put all my faith in the sat nav. Absolutely, like, I hadn't got a map in the car. Okay, I've got my phone, if I could have got a decent mobile phone signal, don't know. But I was, I was thinking to myself, well, I remember years and years and years ago, I went on an adventure with work to Leamington Spa and I somehow managed to drive there on my own when I was 21 or something like that. Even without AA routes? Yeah, you know, where you well, I didn't have a, yeah, don't even know if I had a mobile phone, I think I probably didn't. Yeah, so you used to get AA route maps from the internet yeah. and you didn't need a phone for that because phones didn't do... All those cabins no. just made phone calls. Yeah, you'd have to look. But you'd go online, wouldn't you, to yeah. get an AA route? But before that, yeah, it was just yeah. maps. Yeah. Do you know, I've got a story once of a, a colleague in the Samaritans. We were heading up from Stoke-on-Trent up to York. A group of us were going to the annual conference. And um, I wasn't travelling with this chap. As it turns out, it's a good job I wasn't. Because what he did is essentially he drew a straight line from Stoke-on-Trent to York... Right. And then follow that. So little B roads, little no name roads, and just went in a straight line as he comes from Stoke. Did you think he was a crow? Yeah, I think he went as the crow flies. Um, And the poor person that did travel with him was like, it's taken us eight hours or something ridiculous. Well, like in the days when if you went to Cornwall on holiday, it would take eight hours. You know, just hours and hours of B-roads. Yeah, and this wasn't traffic. This was was him just going over Hill and Dale and whatever. Yes. So that's what some people did, draw a straight line. Yeah, I mean, I I I probably looked in the atlas. I can remember a time when I used to look in the road atlas... And then write down the junctions, you know, so the road yeah. name and the junction. And I just sort of have that. More tricky, though, when you go to a city that you don't know, because then you need the A to Z. Yeah, once it? you get to that city, yeah. where are you going? So I have I have actually driven to a city before now, found a garage or a corner shop and bought the A to Z when I've got there, because right. I don't know where that to, yes. road is, yeah. We did manage it somehow. I, it? Yeah, but... But there was the there, so in my mind there was just this oh okay how did I manage this beforehand and and I'm here I am my car is telling me what to do yes. and where to go do you ignore it ever occasionally it depends where I am I mean if I'm 
reasonably low. So sometimes I'll set my sat nav. So, so today I needed to be at a certain place at a certain time. So last night when I pulled up, I put in the postcode so I could see how long it thought it was going to take me. Then I added some for morning traffic. Then when I get in the car this morning, I set it to see if there are any delays en route. So I can start, you know, it's a bit of expectation management and I get less stressed um, until it starts going plus seven minutes, plus 15 minutes, plus 27 minutes. Just turn around, it's not not worth going now. It's not worth going. So, um, um, look, this this is me making a noise now. This is my key Tingly jangly. I'll take it off. Um, Yeah, so... I was, I was trusting my sat now. I've got a bit of your hair now. What's going on? There we go. That's that. Just put that on the floor like that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it depends where I am. Sometimes I will go, mm, I don't think turning left here is a good idea, and I'll turn right, and then wait for it to recalculate the route. <laughs> Do you feel it's telling you in a judgy way once it yes. tells you? Turn around where possible. Yeah. Turn around where possible. But have you got a road atlas in your car? I did until I changed my cars and the atlas was there because my husband likes to have a, an atlas in the car. Right, okay. But I haven't looked at an atlas for ages. Not not to, to find a route, but actually just to look at where things are. Yeah, in relation. Places I've been to or going to. Yeah. Right, okay. Anywho, it got me thinking about maps because, of course, in the way that there's a sat-nav... We have maps. Yeah. But once upon a time, maps no weren't maps. as detailed as they are. So I did a little Google on the old ordnance survey oh. thing. I found a, a little quiz regarding oh. website about ordnance survey maps. Well, and I, I, I think thought, my son would like that. I oh. think you must share that with him. Okay. Well, does he listen to this podcast? Uh, probably, probably not. Probably not. So no, his embarrassing no... mum is doing a podcast. There's no spoilers, are there, no, here, if we, if we do this. So this was from May this year. Um, but they're sort of talking about how Ordnance Survey, you know, it it has evolved. And, of course, roads change. Map atlases become out of date. Sat-navs respond much more rapidly. My sat-nav can tell me that there's an obstruction on the road and, you know, things like that. But um, how many times each day on average do adults in great britain interact with os data the data the ordnance survey have captured is it 12 times 42 times 32 times or 22 times the lowest it's the highest 42 times the phone oh. calls you make, the water, gas, electric and broadband... That's provided by OS. It, the data that decides on that infrastructure will have been um, engineered with the help of OS data. Insurance companies, mortgage companies, they decide, you know, postcode areas. If yeah. you live where you're going to keep your car, you're going to keep it on the street in a certain area, increased risk. Okay. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, there's no good me asking you what this OS symbol represents on a Mac. It's no good for uh, for a podcast. Um, which of the following everyday services does not depend on data from OS? Taking a shower, painting your house, bin collections or broadband? 
Oh, well, I'd say broadband and bin collections do. I don't know anything about painting your house and having a shower. What on earth that could need OS for? Go on, surprise me. It, it's the painting your house. So even taking a shower, they don't go into detail about taking a shower, but considering that we've just said that the the mains water oh, infrastructure yeah. um, will have something to do with that. If uh, you got your paint delivered to your door, yes, that, that would have an impact. Yeah. Which leads very neatly onto oh, right, the next okay. question. OS data helps ensure your post and parcel deliveries reach your door. How many current addresses are in the OS database? More than 30 million, more than 23 million, more than 43 million. Well, I got them totally wrong at the first one, so let's go for the highest. 43 million? Yeah. 33 million. Okay. This location information is also vital for ensuring that housing plans are accurate and that insurance policies and premiums are correct. Okay. Again, where a house is, where the boundaries are, etc., etc. Here's another one. What's the total length of roads in Great Britain? Oh, I'm not even going to give you the options now. Just see if you can think of it. The total length of roads in Great Britain to the moon. Well, how far is it to the moon? I don't know. <laughs> Do you want to say miles? Yeah, no, cent- inches. No, miles. <laughs> miles. <laughs> I haven't got a bloody clue. Three million miles. It's not that much. It's 247,800 247, miles. Okay. okay. That's how many roads there are in Great Britain. But I'm pretty sure that uh, that is changing even as we speak, yeah. there will be people building bits of road. Should I do one more? Go on, yeah. Okay. I like being wrong. Okay. Every time. <laughs> okay. According to OS data, how many pubs are there across Great Britain that contain the word, I like this question, that contain the word Queen, King, Royal, Jubilee, Coronation or Crown? Oh, lots, I imagine. 809, 752, 793, 811. 811. 819. Oh. The most popular royal is the Royal Oak, with 68 hostelries in Great like Britain. The most popular royal is a tree. A yes. tree? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, oh, I could drink a pint now. There we go. Well, we did that, didn't we? But then the pub shut down. Yeah. Um, if people see us coming to the pub with our podcast equipment, they're going to shut the doors. They're just going to leg it, yeah. They, yeah put the lights off. It's a kiss of death. <laughs> Because we only drink a half, like two halves, it's not really going to... No, they're probably thinking, packed crisps. Yeah. They're probably thinking, if they'd had a pint every time they came in, we could still be here. Yeah, you think? Or if they drank in the week like they drank on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one final one. One final one. In what year was the OS founded? 1805, 1785, 1801 or 1791? 1805. It's actually 1791. Okay. With the French Revolution rumbling and England bracing for invasion, the British Board of Ordnance, the Defence Ministry of the time, started mapping vulnerable coastal areas so it could plan where to station troops. The endeavour continued in peacetime and the entire first series of maps of Great Britain was published in 1870. So that's from 1791 to 1870. 
So that's, you know, 80 years of work for us to have the basis of mapping of the country, which now is so accurate and so deep. I don't think they had the name of pubs no. on, on the maps in those days. Well, there you go. Well, I enjoyed that. Mm. You had a little journey, yeah. didn't you, yeah, there, did. with that research? Yeah. yeah. I feel very dull now with my... Oh, I do. Well, well, some people might say that maps are dull. <laughs> no, not me and my family. We love a good map. Old maps... Overlaid on new maps, things like that. I think those things are interesting. I have got a map of the world um, on a wall at home because my geography is so shockingly bad. I'm pretty good at geography in the UK, but terrible on global geography. I've got better since we bought a um, a world map, huge one, mm. goes on the wall in the main conference room. And in long meetings, I always position myself so I could just stare at the map if I need to. Pretend that you're in some yeah. far-flung country. And and then just surprise myself with bits of island I didn't know existed. As, as in islands, not as in... Bits of Ireland. Ireland, yeah. Well, and mostly in the Far East. So I'm like, there's lots of tiny little islands there. Well, I was talking to somebody today about the Maldives, and apparently there's hundreds of those. Mm. That's just the Maldives. I'm thinking of starting a project where I visit every Maldivian island. It's not Moldovan, is it? No. Or every Maldive. That's it. Yeah, you're going to the Maldives, you will visit every individual Maldive. Surely that's the plural of Maldive, is Maldives. Yes, I bet it actually is. Okay. <laughs> What's an individual Maldive island? Yeah. I don't think we'll have separate names. That tune in next week for a detailed breakdown of the four hundred Maldive islands. Now, moving on. Here's the thing from me. So you know you used to work for an organisation that Looked at the the best companies to work for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that called again? The company was called Best Companies. Yeah. And it was the Sunday Times Best Companies to Work For project. Okay, so this article in Positive News, obviously, mm. I go to, from yesterday, um, says the best companies to work for in 2023 revealed. So that's unusual for it to be announced in Positive News. This is a different index to the one that you used to work mm. for. Because theirs is released earlier in the year. Yeah. Who's doing this? So this is the Escape 100 list, a ranking of the most impactful and forward-thinking organisations to escape to in 2023. Not escape from? No, escape to. Okay. Where are we going to go? So, well, first of all, it, it, it the first paragraph sort of sums up the difference potentially between the traditional list of the best companies to work for and this list. So it says the monthly pay packet, the size of the office, the wow factor of the company car. These things topped the job seekers lists a few generations ago. I'm not sure even it's <coughs> several generations ago. It's relatively recently, isn't it? But apparently not so much these days. Job satisfaction and a purpose. 
yes. beyond profit. Yeah. We've talked about this yeah. many, yeah, many yeah. times on the on the um, big business briefs and on the business community. Yeah. And so they say here that uh, the purpose of what you spend your time working on has gained a much greater emphasis and it's a movement that's growing all the time, says Don Jackman, the founder of CareerSight, Escape the City. Mm. They compiled the list. So I I just thought it was something worth exploring because I'm a recruiter, aren't I? and I? And I've known for a little while that obviously... It's not just the pay packet, there's got to be something else as yeah. well. And I'm actually studying at the moment for a, a course on leading sustainable companies. Really interesting as you're looking into sustainability and climate change. I'm only in module two and, I'm, you know, there's so Already much. excited about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can tell yeah, me from can... the way my hands are yeah, moving. The yeah. gestures, yeah, you look animated. <laughs> and the, um, there's some research done by KPMG that... Um, found a trend among younger workers of climate quitting jobs. Climate quitting. Okay. Is that where you move away from companies that aren't environmentally friendly and move towards greener companies? Exactly. Okay. And three quarters were re-evaluating their paths since the pandemic. So again, three quarters of the people in the survey were actually thinking about so they haven't actually done it yet but we're okay. considering moving that's a lot of people well we've known that a lot of changes have happened people have re-evaluated haven't they yeah it's like when a, a, a life-changing health event people often re-evaluate their life yeah and i think the covid pandemic was that on a global scale everybody re-evaluating their lives and, ev- and every element of your life because everything was impacted wasn't it so the Global 100 were picked from 13,000 global organisations and they were ranked on criteria including environmental impact, employee satisfaction and mission. And the index includes firms um, active in everything from sexual wellness to sustainable agriculture. Okay. And, and just leads to the question of what is a good job? What do you class as a good job these days? Or what do you, should you start to class as a good job going forward? As an employer, I'm really thinking, what makes us a good company to work for? Mm. I think, and we've talked about this before, I think it depends on the individual that you're asking. Because depending on where they are in their life, yeah, different things will be important to them generationally there'll be people who um so there may there'll be people who think that the climate crisis isn't a thing therefore won't matter to them at all about the green credentials of an organization there'll be some people who don't think that diversity and equality are important therefore the fact that they've got a, a diverse workforce won't be attractive so i think or it, might even put them off or might even put them off yeah so i think you know there's always going to be that element isn't there but i think purpose is is much more important as as you say that people are people have become a little bit more some people have become a little bit more what's this all about once you've considered the fact that you know genuinely there were people who thought is this the end of mankind you yeah. know are we is this what wipes us all out it's not a existential crisis yes yeah global scale yeah yeah it's not it's not um a meteor that's gonna 
hit Earth, it's actually, you know, a, a virus. Um, and so for those people, I think they've gone, okay, right. So if my days are numbered, which of course they are. Yeah, they are anyway. Yes, they yeah. Just put it brought it home hand. a bit. Yeah. So how am I going to spend my time? And that with purpose thing, the environment, because for young people, that's increasingly important. So again, what's the age of your workforce? What attracts that age group? Yeah. It's quite variable. I think um, purposeful work has been on the agenda for a long time, hasn't it? I mean, when I ran some conferences for um, We Think and Do all yeah. those years ago, we yeah. were talking about profit with purpose, weren't mm-hmm. we? But it was more of a niche thing. Yeah. Even when we were talking on um, the business community pre-pandemic, yeah. it seemed like a good thing to have. But now I really think, actually, companies have got to be thinking, what is that purpose? Because that's the future workforce are going to be asking, what, why am I doing this? What's the point of this? What, what am I contributing to the world? Absolutely. In addition to that, historically, and, and we're certainly seeing it at the moment, people who have worked in organisations where there is a purpose, charity... NHS, etc. Um, teaching. Their pay doesn't reflect the level of commitment yeah. that they're required to give. That's a really good point. Yeah. So if companies... Well, there's, there's a third sector. I mean, why do you need to have something called the third, the third sector? sector? Because typically you also know the third sector is paid more poorly yeah. than the other sectors. Yeah, yeah. So I think... One and two, presumably. One, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you don't say sector one and sector two. Is it say? private, public and third? Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, which is yeah, the charity sector. I think the, the whole charity thing is because, for some reason, organisations think that charities and not-for-profits shouldn't make any money. Well, they need to make money in order to... To exist, yeah. to pay their staff, yeah, and so the sort of money word, the, the profit yeah, word, the not for profit is means not for shareholders. Exactly, yeah, and yet a lot of people go, well, you know, you, you should be doing this for free. Yeah, no, that's not. So I think that's not sustainable. No, so being part of a sustainable society, you actually need to help people to be able to buy their food and yeah, there has to be a mortgages. commercial element, doesn't yeah. there? Yeah. Um, Anyway, do you want to know some of the escapes? Yeah, 100? I do, yeah, yeah. So, number one, Too Good To Go. It's a UK-based, London-based app that allows people in Europe and North America to intercept unfold, unsold food from shops and restaurants. Now, I've done something like that before with another app. This something I've never heard of this one. Olio, was yes, it? Yes, yeah. Something like that. That was where you could literally go and pick up six tea bags from somebody who doesn't need them anymore, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. It was a bit like... It was a little bit... Free clunky. go for food, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. A yeah. little bit clunky. Yeah. So I've not really looked at Too Good To Go, but no. I might have a little look. Um, then number two is a Seattle-based Moving Worlds, and it helps professionals find more purpose in their work and enables them to share their skills with organisations that are trying to improve the world. So this is sort of like an agency. Yeah, so it's sort of like an enabler of this list, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Uh, who gives a crap? We've heard of that. And we yeah. said the um, UK-based toilet roll company. It makes 100% recycled toilet paper 
and donates 50% of profits to build toilets in the developing world. Mm -hmm. Regrow Ag, this is a US-based company, scaling up regenerative farming, uh, empowers farmers to embrace regenerative agriculture. Solaris Offgrid is in, based in Spain, social enterprise working to upscale low-cost, low-carbon energy in low-income countries. The Reef World Foundation, based in the Philippines, supports governments and communities to protect and sustainably develop their coastal resources, including coral reefs, hence the name. Pay Captain, this is based in the UK. It's modernising the payroll process, apparently. I don't know what about that makes it saving the planet, but in terms of employee satisfaction, staff choose their hours and work from anywhere. Right. So it's the highest employee rated organisation. Well, we were talking last week about working from anywhere. Yeah. And does it actually matter whether you're on holiday or whether you're in a different location as working, long as, working. as long as you're working? Yeah. Yeah. So Pay Captain have become the highest employee rated organisation. And that's out of. 13,000 organisations. And that and that is a trend, isn't it? So maybe that's the one to watch. You know, yeah. That's the thing to watch, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I wonder if work from anywhere also means they could go into the office if they wanted to. Yeah, because... Some people prefer that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, the idea that you can work from anywhere, but we haven't actually got a building where there's a desk yeah. for you to work at. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to work there. I would want to be able to go into the office. Mind you, not if I was the only one there. I might as well come in. <laughs> in my own little room. Okay, we've also got Perligo and Spotify for textbooks, apparently. Uh, it's on a mission to break barriers for learning and runs an online library offering academic, professional and non-fiction books. It's really good because some academic books are incredibly expensive, mm. aren't they? Mm. TechnoServe US... It's a non-profit that works to upskill, empower, and employ enterprising people in the global south. And the Library of Things in the UK. Mm. Heard of this one. Mm. Um, probably because we're positive newsreaders and they talk about it quite a lot. But this is an organisation that allows people to rent things they only need periodically, such as power drills and tents. So that's the top ten of the Escape 100 yeah, There's a, there, there is a, a general feeling to those organisations, not least, that 10 years ago, pretty much none of those organisations would have existed, would they? No. They, they just, they feel very of the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously that's why they're on this blooming list, but... So the question is, how does traditional industry... Compete with that. I don't They're they slow-moving objects, aren't yeah. they? I don't know if they can, because or pretty much, not all, because there's the toilet paper company there, but a lot of those organisations are virtual organisations. Yeah. You know, they don't... They're not shifting stock. They're shifting intellectual property. Here's an interesting thing, though. That's not the name of the um, podcast, is it? No. No, Here's the thing. It's not thing. that interesting, but interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, on this course that I'm doing, just today, 
uh, I watched a short talk that included reference to Swedish steel industry. Okay. Wow. That's very neat. I might watch that full sleep tonight. Back in 2013, they started a project to look at how to make themselves more attractive as an employer. Mm -hmm. Uh, What can attract people into this? Yeah. typical heavy industry yeah. that's been making steel the same way for thousands of years. They inadvertently ended up setting a net zero carbon target as a result of that project. Accidentally? Inadvertently. Oh, inadvertently, so it, yes. yeah. So it wasn't accidental, but no, no. It, it wasn't the aim. Okay. 2013 was about recruitment and retention yeah. into heavy industry. And during that process, they found themselves setting a net zero target in order to to be an attractive employer. Mm -hmm. So there is a route for heavy industry as well. I suppose, again, there's got to be... The steel industry is, is... is famous for being fluctuating in price. You know, the, the steel market dictates a lot of inflation, etc. So they will have enough money and resource to be able to set an ambitious target like that. Whereas a lot of heavy industry might not have that ability. Like, everybody needs steel. Well, not everybody, but, you know, they've cornered the market. Steel corners the market. If you need steel... It's going to be steel, isn't it? Whereas aviation or other other um, manufacturing industries, they're heavily reliant on the competition is tougher. They they have to their price needs to be really really competitive. Whereas steel kind of commands the market, doesn't it? Mm. So I don't know how wealthy you need to be in order to be able to set mm. a net zero target. Hmm. Anyway, like and deliver it. Yeah, it's interesting. At that point, my son's ringing me. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah, should we tell him all about the maps? Yeah, I'll tell him I'll send him a quiz. <laughs> now Here's the Thing is a Jones and Noble production brought to you every week. Well, maybe not every week, Heather. <laughs> Recorded with an iPhone, a microphone and lots of hot air. <laughs>